You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Mapping the College Audition, a podcast where we explore the landscape of the college theater world and try to demystify this daunting audition process. I'm your host, Charlie Murphy, director of MTCA, that's Musical Theater College Auditions, and today we have a great entrepreneurial show lined up for you. Like I said, <laughs> entrepreneurial. How's my voice and speech training for you, Megan? Thank you. Um, Today we get with Eric Weiss, we get into Emerson um, and we talk a little bit about the entrepreneurial spirit of Emerson students. We talk about the sort of specific curricular differences between all of Emerson's BFAs and the general 60-40 model of a conservatory style training within a liberal arts education that we've talked about before. Um, We talk about the idea of what it is to be surrounded by creative people and helping you find which role you like best in this art form. Uh, we get into the audition process, and Eric gives a lot of advice about preparation, stuff like read the play, be ready to play in the room, be ready to improv, be ready to talk to them, etc. And Eric weighs in on the eternal question of do high school resumes matter? But before we get to Eric, Megan, I got to see you in live human person last week. What a pleasure. What a pleasure it is to see me live and in person. I must agree with that, Charlie. <laughs> no, it was so great to see everybody. Um, we see each other so much over the screen, so it's nice to hug and hang out a little bit and see our wonderful students, which all their hard work come into fruition for this weekend. So it was very exciting to be around such a wonderful group. The thing both Megan and I get so often from our students when they see us, you see our faces often on a, a Zoom or a webinar and they just go, you're so tall. It's true for both <laughs> Megan. We're both like much taller than our faces look for whatever that means for you. Like you see our face, you'll be like, ah, Charlie's probably like six foot or like Megan's probably like five, four. And it's like not the case. It is not the case. No, we paired the assistants well with the directors. I feel like (laughs) that's right. go together, the tall ones and Justin, Leo, you know, a little bit shorter, they go together. Leo is perfectly tall, especially with all those Fluvog boots. My God. Um, I do just want to say to everyone at Chicago Unifieds, it was such a blast getting to see you all. Um, It was just a beautiful spirit in that. We hold a little green room. I think I talked about in New York City. We hold a little green room in the Palmer House. And just the students walking in there and supporting each other was really touching and beautiful. The parents who really understood this process so well, navigating the ups and downs of it with their their children. It was just, uh, it was a really touching week um, for me to be a part of. And we talk about it a bit in the episode, but it was really fun for especially some of our parents who've been with us for a long period of time they kind of were prepared for what was happening. And so it was really kind of cool for them to see, oh yeah, this is this is the moment you talked about. This is when this is happening. This is, you know, um, it was really kind of cool to see that. All right, well, let's get into this episode with Eric Weiss from Emerson. 
Well, we are honored to be joined by Eric Weiss. Eric has a BS in acting from Syracuse University, and I like to say all acting is BS. Um, He has an MA in theater education from Emerson College. His performance work includes five years as a member of The Rhythmics, um, and he's also served as a scriptwriter slash curriculum consultant slash producer slash actor slash director. We love those multi-hyphens with a training company called True to Life. Um, Right now, he's the director of programming in the Department of Performing Arts at Emerson College, which we're going to dive in today. Um, Emerson College is located in Boston, Massachusetts. They take incoming musical theater classes of about 18 students, and we're going to get into class sizes today. We're also going to get into all the different degrees that Emerson offers because there's some really interesting um, ways they they deal with the relationship to their degrees. Um, They do a music theater BFA, an acting BFA, and some fun degrees like comedic arts BFA, which I'm really into. We'll talk about that. Um, And then all the sort of different uh, specificities of theater, theater education and performance, theater performance, et cetera. We'll get into that on the show. Eric, how are you doing today? I am doing pretty darn good, I have to say. In the grand scheme of things, big picture, (laughs) I am grateful to be healthy, I am grateful to have a job in these times, these difficult days. I think of so many people out there in the world suffering right now, and I have Mm. myself as lucky and fortunate. That is such a great answer. As we record this, we're right in the middle of audition season, you know, sort of just after Chicago Unified. So this will be released a a little bit later. But um, to be able to give that answer in the middle of, uh, of crazy times is a beautiful perspective. Um, let's talk a little bit about how you found yourself at this position. So um, tell me a little about your background in terms of how you ended up in this current job. Well, I, as you said in my, in my bio, I got an undergraduate acting degree from Syracuse University, a fine institution. I got mm-hmm. terrific training. And then I um, moved to New York with my then college roommate, very stereotypical. I can remember packing up a U-Haul truck and uh, <laughs> moving to New York. And I spent um, about eight and a half years in New York, um, working as a, a professional actor and doing a variety of support jobs as well. Uh, I got married along the way. I promise I'm getting to your question. Got married <laughs> along the way. Um, and my wife and I uh, didn't want to raise kids in our one bedroom apartment in the West Village, which we love. <laughs> but uh, we thought that that would be pretty challenging. And so we both grew up in Boston. And uh, we moved back to Boston where our families were. Um, And I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do with myself. I I do come from a family of teachers Mm. um, and um, had an interest in in exploring that. And I looked at graduate programs for theater in Boston. And the one that jumped out to me was the Master's of Arts in Theater Education at Emerson College because it talked about the intersection of arts and education. I'm like, yep, that's me, the intersection of arts and education. Mm -hmm. And so I started there in 1999 and uh, it's a two-year program. And inside of three weeks, I was like, I like this place. This place Mm -hmm. is cool. It's got the right um, feel vibe as kids say now uh, for for who I was at that moment and I I made it my secret quiet little mission to not leave Mm. Um, and uh, I I was very very lucky I walked in the door at the right moment they needed someone to be able to do a very specific teaching job teaching undergrads and I was you know walking out of a a New York acting career and I felt like I had something to say and Mm -hmm. so 
I, um, I got to work with, I got to teach undergrads and, and sort of manage a class that other grad students taught as well. And I did that for two years. And at the end of those two, two years, the chair of the department at the time said, you want to stick around and keep doing that? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I do. You heard your secret plan. He was on yeah, your exactly, secret plan. Exactly. She figured out the secret plan. And she's like, well, you can't just do that. You won't, you won't you know, be able to pay your bill. So let's see what other classes you might want to teach. And I'm like, yes. So I started out teaching things like uh, theater appreciation like an intro to theater mm. course for non-theater mm. majors and intro to acting and uh, aside from the stuff I was already teaching. So anyway, um, I did that for about five more years or so as an affiliated faculty in the department of performing arts at Emerson. And then to make a long story short, this um, administrative job opened up in my department and um, I was lucky enough to get that. So mm. the beautiful thing about it is, I have this funky, niche little job where I administrate in my department and I teach in my department. Mm. So I'm a teacher and an administrator. And I think those two things feed each other. I'm a better administrator because I teach and I understand our students. Mm-hmm. And I'm a better teacher because I believe I understand the bigger picture of how my department works. Mm. So I've, I succeeded. I have not really left. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've been there since 1999. Um, and, uh, and yeah, that, that's how I wound up here. You did not succeed in making a long answer short, but it was a great answer. It was a great answer. Um, but let's get into Emerson a little bit. And, and specifically, I always like to start off with like, as you see sort of the incoming classes of Emerson students, what do you think it means to be an Emerson student? What do you sort of see as a defining characteristics of those classes? Yeah, I feel that Emerson is a very productive, hardworking, positive entrepreneurial kind of place. Students often choose to come to Emerson because they'll be able to make their own work. We have an incredibly active student theater scene at Emerson with um, 20 or so student organizations devoted to performance production of some kind. Mm -hmm. So that's acapella groups, dance companies, comedy troops. And I can't remember how many we're up to, uh, six, seven, eight theater companies entirely run by students. Mm-hmm. Um, they have budgets through student government. They have administrative structures, long histories, and different focuses. Foci? Is that the plural? I don't know. Fossies. Uh, I think it's like Fossi Verdon. Is, is that what it is? Mm-hmm. No. I have uh, no but anyway, they, they each focus on different things. And um, uh, it, it provides uh, students an opportunity to make their own stuff in a way that I think has a safe amount of risk. Um mm-hmm. You know, the New York Times is not coming to review them. They can try stuff. They can learn. They can experiment. They can explore. And that's outside of all of the, the main, stage stuff, main stage stuff in our classes and all of that. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one of the things that makes us who we are. But And if we get specifically into the training, so let's say I do come in, I've been admitted because I have that entrepreneurial spirit and I'm creative and I want to play and all those beautiful things. How am I going to come out trained? Um, and I know it's going to be a little different degree to degree, but maybe let's focus specifically on the music theater and the acting um, training, because I think it's where a lot of our students think they're going, at least for now. Sure, um, sure. How am I going to come out different four years later if I've come in with that spirit? Sure. So to fully answer that question, I have to walk you through the four performance majors that we have and what Please makes do. them the same or different. So like I said, Four majors devoted to performers, three of which you can apply to directly, and one of which you can potentially move into during your time at Emerson. So um, the three you can apply to directly are a BFA in musical theater, 
a BFA in theater and performance and a BFA in theater education and performance. Mm -hmm. And those three programs share the same acting training, basically, for the first two years. I'm simplifying Mm -hmm. this a little bit, sure, but that's basically true. Mm -hmm. Um, Musical theater kids are taking voice and dance and musicianship in addition to that acting training. At the end of the first two years, those programs split up. Musical theater goes into 14 hours a week of studio classes. It's probably Mm -hmm. as close to a conservatory as we get. Um, Theater performance also takes upper level acting classes, but those classes are shorter. So more like six hours a week. Mm -hmm. But the additional time in your schedule as a theater and performance student allows you to study other stuff. Now, other stuff can be um, additional acting classes. It could be Um, Other classes in performing arts uh, like directing or dramaturgy or arts administration. Mm -hmm. It could be other things that the college offers outside of performing arts like American Sign Language or journalism or marketing or poetry or, you know, whatever makes you happy. Theater education and performance, by comparison, has essentially pre-selected what they're going to do with that schedule flexibility. Those kids are Mm going to take theater education classes. And as a part of that program, they can be certified to teach in public school, Massachusetts, K through 12 as a theater specialist. Hmm. That's preliminary licensure. So it's a really cool and unique degree. Hmm. If you think back to theater performance for a second, at the end of those two years, you'd have some choices about how you're going to spend your last two years. Uh, Do I want to add a minor? Do I want to take extra acting classes? What do I want to do? And one of the options in that program is to audition for our fourth performance major, and that's a BFA in acting. And if you get into that, then that's 14 hours a week of Mm -hmm. structured acting classes as well. But the thing is, we don't think of these programs like one is better than the other, or even that one is for better actors. It's about what you want to do with your time. A BFA in acting or musical theater is for somebody who wants that structured, focused training of sequential courses that have been selected for you. Theater and performance is for someone who wants to study acting. They say, I love acting. I want to study it for four years. I'm also a playwright. Mm -hmm. I want to take classes on that. And both of those are viable answers to the professional industry. I want to focus on one thing. I want to be multiple things. I'll add theater education and performance is for a teaching artist. It's for someone who wants to ride that line between acting training and teacher training beautifully laid. We went down all these beautiful paths. I, I kept being like, he's going to miss. He's not, he forgot acting. Let's come back. But no, we got them all. We caught them all. It was really beautifully done. But so let's now let's go down those branches a little more specifically in terms of, especially maybe those 14 hours of yes. musical theater training and acting training and, and what that looks like in terms of your, your school's philosophy. So first, I think the other thing to cover before I dive to that is just that Emerson is a hybrid between a conservatory and a liberal arts school. Mm-hmm. The, the split is about 60-40. So all students, regardless of their major, 40% of their classes are going to be general education liberal arts classes. And um, there's not one right way to study theater or one right way to go to college for theater. Um, I, I really believe that for a student, for an applicant, there's their way. And that's the process of applying to college, figuring out what all these places are like. So I say all this. Uh, I'm going to say all this about musical theater and acting to acknowledge that it's not a conservatory and they're still taking all these academic classes. Mm -hmm. So um, we graduate well-rounded, professionally trained theater artists that understand 
the theater in its cultural context. Hmm. That's what we do. That we are training people to, um, in, in all four of those programs, yes, go pound the pavement and win roles in auditions if that's what you want to do. But you're also being exposed to the idea that you can translate the things that you've learned about the theater, the things that the theater teaches, you can translate that to other things that you might be interested into. And that's okay. And just to be cl- clarify for the listeners at home, the 60-40 means 60% theater and 40% um, outside classes. Yeah. Yes, that, that's right. It's, it's really like 60% theater classes or electives, depending on your mm-hmm. major, and 40% uh, general education classes. And how many of your students, so obviously now the possibility of a minor, maybe even the possibility of a double major exists, is, exists with the 60-40. How many of your students, let's say, who do the BFA acting or BFA musical theater, especially with those additional credits, how many of those do pursue a, a minor outside the school? Um, I would say a reasonable number. Um, the Part of the reason why we've structured these programs the way we have is that Theater and performance is a program that includes automatically enough elective credits to add a minor. So mm-hmm. part of my answer is, well, we have an acting program that has that kind of flexibility. It's theater right. and performance. If you're in BFA acting, you need to be able to create some electives for yourself, which lots of students do and can do uh, by bringing in AP classes uh, or dual enrollment classes or testing out of our four credit math requirements. So there are ways mm-hmm. of creating electives for yourself and adding a minor. So I would say, I don't know what the exact stat is, but it's not an unusual thing. And for theater and performance, I'd say it's even more common than that. Even musical theater, uh, if you can create some electives for yourself, students uh, students do add minors in that program too. And then for the music theater program specifically, um, do you feel like of the three disciplines of musical theater, there is a focus? Do you feel like we're more acting-based musical theater? We really focus on the music. We're really strong in dance. Is, is there one more that floats up more than the others? Yeah, I would say that asking me in this moment right now, I would say acting and vocal are still the two that carry more weight. Now, mm-hmm. I, I can just feel students you know, across the land <laughs> listening to this podcast being like, oh, they don't care about dance. No, that's not what I said. They take dance every semester for four years. Our students do. Uh, we're always looking for ways that we can strengthen what we do, always looking for ways where we can expand on what we do. And we're in the process of doing that and adding more dance to what we already offer. But if you ask me right now, I would still say that acting and vocal are the two that spend more curricular time. I love it. And that's a very honest answer. And I feel like it's the question that many professors are least excited to answer because I was going to go, all three, all three were mostly dance and acting and music all focused all together. Here's the thing. Um, You know, again, we're not a conservatory. And and I again, I have no there's no judgment in that at all. It's just about being honest about who we are. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to take academic classes and those things are real, well, you know, you can't be in classes 17 hours a day. That's right. Um, you, you have to give up some stuff, right? So um, I would say in terms of the amount of time spent in class, yeah, um, it's not as heavy in dance as it would be um, at a conservatory where they can take dance, you know, five days a week. Yep. So that it's, it's about students finding the places that have the right mix of stuff for them. It's 
beautifully said. Um, let's talk a little more about the outside of the theater program part of Emerson in terms of like, so maybe if I'm not in the school um, specifically for theater, what else am I getting? Uh, for, you talked a little bit about some of the um, groups that I can join and, and certainly some of the outside educational classes, but what else would be a reason I'd be excited to join Emerson? Well, um, I would say the things that I've said about performing arts are true for the rest of the college. Obviously, my knowledge base is much more deeply rooted in my department, but we're an arts and communication school. So even the academic classes that you're taking, you're going to be taking with other creative people. Hmm. So they're going to be filmmakers, they're going to be writers, uh, you know, a, a lot of stuff like that. We certainly have other programs, um, uh, communication studies and um, uh, communication disorders. So all worthy programs, all that mm -hmm. I'm not the, uh, the expert on, but I think that it's a hallmark of our school that there's a lot of people there that like to make stuff. And if you view those people as your collaborators, your future collaborators, it's a wonderful place to work with kids that are um, learning to make films. Mm -hmm. And we have an unending amount of opportunity for students interested in acting in film to get lots of practice. Obviously we offer acting for the camera classes too, but, mm -hmm. um, but for students that want to get lots of practical experience, you know, it's the opportunities are, are pretty endless. I'd say opportunities, not really our, our problem. I'd say our challenge <laughs> is more like time management. Yeah, and how do we actually use that time to seize them all? Life, yeah. That kind of stuff. But um, yeah. What about, um, for our acting and theater and performance major, so maybe the non-musical theater majors, yeah. what kind of access do they have to musical training? If I'm you maybe musical theater tr curious, but I'm, <laughs> I mean, I want to be an actor, but I do love to sing sometimes. And like, yeah. how can I have that kind of access or do I have any access in terms you do. of crossover? Yeah, you definitely do. So private voice and dance classes are required for musical theater majors for four years. They have to take it. For mm -hmm. everybody else, that's an elective. So they could certainly opt to, to take it if they wanted to. Most classes at Emerson are four credits. Dance classes are two credits. Dance le um, voice lessons, excuse me, are two credits. Mm -hmm. So there's a nice pairing in there, and you can see why it works in our musical theater mm -hmm. program. But there's a nice pairing in there for a non-MT to take those things. Now, um, I try to give realistic answers to all this stuff and and not make it sound like yeah just come to Emerson you do anything at any time <laughs> there are no rules um no I, I'm not sure it's realistic for a first year student to be able to add those things uh -huh. for their first year I think they probably can do it in their second year mm -hmm. they definitely can do it in their junior and senior year now, that having been said we're also in downtown Boston right so there are dance studios around. And if you wanted to take private voice in Boston, how could we stop you? So mm -hmm. there are certainly ways of exploring that um, MT curiosity uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> and um, fueling that need that you have. I love it. Um, and then specifically, I want to talk about, because I've had a number of students apply because they were interested in the comedic arts program, whether it's because their dream was to be on SNL or to be a sketch comedy writer or be an improv person. Um, how does that work in terms of how it would apply and, and how that might change? Does it change the audition process or how do I, if I'm interested in that comedic arts, what do I explore? Yeah. So I have a surprising answer for you. Ooh. Um, <laughs> improv on the spot, showing those that training, the, comedic arts. The surprising answer is our comedic arts program is not 
within the Department of Performing Arts. Shock, <gasps> surprise. I know. It's a, um, it's a unique standalone major that lives in the School of the Arts. So the School mm-hmm. of the Arts covers visual media arts, our film program, and performing arts, right? Um, and writing literature publishing, I believe. Uh, so it's a unique School of the Arts program where all three of those departments contribute classes to that program. Mm-hmm. So it's for people interested in being comedic performers, yes, but also comedic producers or comedic writers. Mm-hmm. So uh, writing literature publishing um, uh, contributes the, the writing courses and performing arts contributes the performing arts courses, the performance courses, uh, improv comedy, sketch comedy, physical comedy, that kind of stuff. Um, and then um, visual media arts um, contributes the pro- production courses, right? Mm-hmm. So in that way, I'm actually not the expert to talk about the <laughs> admission process for that program. That's that's the truth. But I know that um, they they do have a submission process where students can submit, I believe, anything that shows, to use their verbiage, the spark of funny. So mm. whether that's performance video or written, um, they, they bring that in, assess that, and that's part of that application process. But beyond that, I have to say I'm, I'm not the expert. Okay, fair. I love it. Um, and last question before we get into the audition process that you will be more expert on. Yes. Um, let's just talk about, so as you see, you know, a couple of months from now where all of our students are going to be just saddled with options and making sure. decisions between um, all these great programs. Why do you find that a student might not choose Emerson? Why do you find a student goes, I like you, but I'm going in this direction because of what reason? I would say the first thing would be wanting a conservatory, um, Mm -hmm. wanting to not take the general education classes. Um, I think that would be the biggest motivator um, because I, I believe we have a really strong theater program, really strong training. I believe the, the quality of our teaching and the level of engagement between teachers and students is very high, Mm -hmm. Um, but it doesn't mean that you're in an acting class every day of the week. Might mm-hmm. be two days a week, might be three days a week, but it might not be every day. And I think mm-hmm. for some students, when they're envisioning getting training in college, um, they're thinking of a more conservatory feel where they're in acting classes every day. Mm-hmm. Like I said, we offer a ton of theater classes. Our students take tons of theater classes, but it's not being in an acting class every day necessarily. Yep. No, it's beautifully said. I think that's, that is one of the biggest factors we see students as they're ma- narrowing the choices. Is sometimes it's the other direction. It's because I want more academics. And that's sometimes right. they go, I don't want that. That's not, that's, it's, and it's not something they necessarily know at the top of the process of which schools are which and what do I definitely want for myself. That's something sometimes we learn as we go. So two, two things I want to add to that. Um, I think that's wise what you just said. And one of my beliefs is that students learn a lot about this process and learn a lot about themselves in this process. Mm-hmm. What do they really want? What is what is most important for them to have? Um, I think lots of people start out in musical theater because it's a, a more mainstream art form. And I think that pulls people into an interest in theater. And then they realize, oh, you know what? Actually, that's the thing I want to do. I just want to be involved in, in making that art form. It doesn't have to be musical theater. And that's why mm-hmm. they often wind up in our theater and performance program, because there's mm-hmm. flexibility in there. They can figure out who they are, which is, by the way, 
part of the reason of having a program like that, that allows them to explore it a bit for a couple of years before settling on maybe where they want to be. And then I'll, I'll, I'll end this part of it, I think, with a brief, brief story. I had a, a student, must be about 10 years ago, who was in my, my first year class that I was teaching, and she told me she was going to transfer out of Emerson. And I'm, I'm not a person to pressure anybody, so okay, that's, that's fine. But I was interested in, in what, were the, what her reasoning was, and I asked her, and she said, well, you only have two levels of French. Hmm. And I was like, okay, you know, yeah, that's true. We, we only have two levels of French. But later I realized that would have been an easy phone call to admission. Mm-hmm. More than two levels of French is the deal breaker for you you got to find that out in advance mm-hmm. because I think, you know, moving, transferring, all that stuff is, is no joke. Mm-hmm. Um, so I believe students have to prioritize for themselves. What are the things that they really, really have to have and figure out if the place that they're going to go has those things mm-hmm. or what can they let go of, you know, in service of getting this over here. And maybe they just need to download Duolingo and get a little bit more French that way. Right. I mean, that would work too. <laughs> um, well, awesome. We will queue to a little break. We'll pay some bills. And when we get back, we're going to talk with Eric about the audition slash admission process for Emerson. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Well, we are back with Eric Weiss, and we're going to talk a little about the audition for Emerson. So I'm going to ask you a difficult question, Eric. I'm ready. Which is just, in short, what do you think makes a great audition for you? Wow. Um, well, I think the first thing would be the, the student, the applicant being prepared. Um, I think that is the best thing that an applicant can do to ready themselves. And it sounds like a small thing, but I don't think it is. Because if you're prepared, it means you can play with what you've done. It means that you are not locked into a rote version of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, the things that we emphasize in our audition process is uh, uh, flexibility um, because we allot enough time to work with students on their pieces. We are, we're proud of the culture that we have at Emerson. And again, I can speak specifically about performing arts. We're proud of the culture that we have, and we're, we're seeking to perpetuate it. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to bring in students that are passionate, that love to work on this wonderful collaborative art form, that are collaborators. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, we tell people up front at the beginning of the audition, listen, we know you've prepared two pieces. 
we know you've prepared two monologues, two monologues, two songs. We might only do one of each if you're music mm-hmm. theater. Um, we might get to the second one. We might just want to work with you in the first one. We might just do the first one and then just want to talk with you. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not casting a play today. We're casting students that are going to live here. And so who you are as a human, and that's not really anything you can prepare for, I suppose, but coming in with the attitude that we're going to, we're going to play, we're going to enjoy this process is, mm-hmm. I guess, the things I would emphasize. Um, is there any kind of pet peeves or stuff that you really don't want to see in a student's audition, whether it's material or the way they enter the room or is anything that sort of puts you off? <clears throat> um, a lack of preparation is on a human level understanding, but um, we do want people to be prepared. And what would that look like? You mean like someone walking in and their monologue's not memorized or their sheet music doesn't make sense? Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's right. Their monologue's not memorized. I mean, listen, anybody can go up on a line and that doesn't really throw us. Somebody goes up mm-hmm. on a line, well, yeah, okay, let's do it again, whatever. Um, but um, not having read the play, mm-hmm. want to read the play, um, stuff like that, I would say. Also, I think um, being able to play with, your, with the piece is, is a sign that you're ready. That, that mm-hmm. I, I take that as a sign. That so if someone comes in with a really rigid performance where they've cultivated it, but you go, you're actually not prepared, even though you think you're prepared because you have you know exactly how it's going to be said, for you, that's not prepared because you're not able to well, play. It's, I mean, it's prepared to a certain point, but when you well, when you say, okay, listen, we're, we're going to try it again. And this time, we're just going to like do the whole thing backwards and upside down. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it doesn't change at all. It's like you give someone a huge direction and if it doesn't shift, it's like they're kind of stuck in their performance, you know? completely and we've probably talked about it in half of the episodes on the podcast students i think come in with that understanding it is something i think for the parents listening that they kind of don't believe they expect in working on a piece that's like we're going to polish this thing to an inch of its life that's what we're paying for yeah like that's not actually what you're paying for yeah that's right and and even even requiring two monologues is not about um making it like a harder hurdle to clear or or Mm -hmm. anything like that so we used to require one monologue, and I can remember the the first year that we required two. It must have been seven or eight years ago now, but whatever. I was doing I was doing auditions in the fall, and this young woman came in, and I said, uh, "Hey, <laughs> what are you going to do today?" And she was like, "I'm going to do a monologue from Anton Chekhov, The Seagull, the last scene, the role of Nina." <laughs> yes, exactly. That's right. So. Um, it's a wonderful monologue. It's a great piece. But when I was an undergrad, we thought of that scene as the, you know, the single hardest thing that a young woman can do in Western mm-hmm. theater. So mm-hmm. I already know like, okay, this person has picked something that's very, very difficult, high degree of difficulty. So, you know, I watched that piece and, and I would say she gave a gamely effort. <laughs> and then, and then I said, okay, instead of working on that piece, I said, well, what's the other one? And the other one was perfect for her and she mm-hmm. crushed it. Mm-hmm. And got into the school and graduated in four years, all that good stuff. But the the thing to point out there is requiring the second monologue gives me another tool. Mm-hmm. It gives me another crack at seeing mm-hmm. if I can figure out who this person is and what they can do. And also choosing monologues is really hard. And it's especially hard for young people. And yes. so two choices, it makes my job easier. It's not about like, we want to make sure that you can memorize two pieces and it's not that. Yeah. I, I love that. And I think that is one of the hardest, when we talk about material selection, which we talk about a lot, of course, with our students, it's one of the hardest places to give a black and white answer. Yes. When you're saying, I want to do this checkoff piece. Is that wrong? It goes, 
It's not wrong. Like if, cause it's a big swing, but like if you hit a home run with it, are you saying, did that student say something about themselves that says I'm going for it? I'm giving yeah. a game effort for it, especially with that second piece that was a little more right on the, the money for them. Yeah. You know, it's not to say no, but it's not to say yes. It's, you know, it is so individual. With student That's to student right. It's not like I thought, doing. it's not that I thought less of them for doing it. I mean, you're right. It was a big risk. It's that I couldn't see them. Uh-huh. It was just too far away from them, yes. the reach for that, for you to be able to go, where are you in this? Yes. Where yeah. are you in this piece? Exactly. Yes. Totally. The only other thing we're not, we're not Puritans in terms of language or that kind of stuff. So I've thought carefully mm-hmm. about where is the line where it feels inappropriate. And, mm-hmm. and I guess if you're doing a piece that makes me as the watcher worry about your safety yes. as the actor or the student, that's where it crosses the line. So is it a swear or two? Not really. But if you're getting at something that is about, you know, very difficult material um, Mm -hmm. to hear, that's when I think you might want to make another choice. And also um, knowing that for many of these auditions, for our auditions, you're probably in a room, you're even a virtual room with one other person. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't want to do anything that makes the evaluator feel uncomfortable hearing it. Does that, does that make sense? It makes total sense. And it's almost exactly the answer I often give. And when people ask for that level, they're like, what's going to offend the auditors? And I go, it's actually more about your comfort in terms of their delicate sensibilities are unlikely to be offended more than your own. Do you feel comfortable? Does this seem like something you would say? I think it's a, yeah. such a, a great answer. Um, what about if, how do these answers change if we talk about pre-screens or we're talking about virtual auditions here? So in, in an audition, um, maybe let's start with any kind of video audition or a pre-screen audition. Um, how does that change in terms of you seeing a, a, a video where you don't get to interact? And then we can maybe get into how does it change just in a virtual format in terms of you're still live, you're playing around, but now you're not in the room with the energy of that. I, I feel like virtual auditions work. Um, that, that's been my sense. I mean, obviously there was, there's been a learning curve over the past year and a half or so. Um, but I feel that virtual auditions do work and are pretty close to what we do in person. Um, in terms of video submissions, I feel like we're still in that learning curve of trying to figure out, okay, um, how is this different? Uh, or, mm-hmm. or what changes? I, I'll tell you one of the things that that I know already is watching a video of um, a monologue, for example. I can't ask someone to adjust, mm-hmm. right? I I can only I can only see it in the way that they've done it in that, and so I'm not sure what that says. I'm not sure what that means. To be frank with you. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I have found myself frustrated uh, time to time going, oh, I'd love 10 minutes with that person, mm-hmm. you know? And we'll get into some of the other kind of interstitial parts of an audition. But I loved it because you mentioned Emerson students often have a kind of entrepreneurial spirit. Um, how is that something that they can show in an audition, right? Is, how, do, how do you sense and sniff out, oh, you seem like this kind of creative person. Is it about material choice? Is it about the interview? Or where do you sort of feel that out? Um, yeah, I, I think that's uh, that becomes clear. Maybe not the entrepreneurial part, but at least the, the attitude and perspective can come out in working on pieces. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when people can really give over to having fun in that process 
and um, and working on a monologue with our faculty. I think that we learn a lot. Um, we get a lot of we get a lot of responses from applicants that say things like, "My monologue got better in your audition," mm-hmm. which is fantastic, mm-hmm. and which is kind of what we want to have happen. Um, we're trying to communicate to applicants what it's like to be an Emerson student in that process. So now students, you know what to write in your thank you note. Tell Eric, my monologue got better <laughs> oh, in the audition. No. Now what we know. Good cue. Just- <laughs> <laughs> oh no. No, but, but you know, being able to work with stuff on people, you can learn a lot about them in a short amount of time. Totally. And this leads to my favorite question, which is if you had to estimate in percentages or however you want to talk about it, if you had to estimate how much for you of the decision to give an artistic yes Mm. is about the skill displayed in the initial work, let's say it's in those two monologues or in those two monologues and two songs versus those kind of intangibles of how do they take the adjustment? How do they interview? How do they walk in the room? Anything that's not in the material itself. Wow. Wow. That's a great question. I'm very proud of it. I I up myself every time I ask it. That's a good question. (laughs) Um, Gosh, I don't know if I can give a percent. 50-50? That's a percent. Sure. Listen, some people walk in the room and and just rock it, of course. And that's mm-hmm. like, whoa, oh my goodness, that was fantastic. You know, yeah, yeah, this is great. But it's sometimes it's also really impressive for somebody to come in and be like, first pass, not that good. <laughs> you know, like, first pass, not that good, but wow, what growth in five mm-hmm. minutes. So mm-hmm. I'm not saying anybody should like plan this out and go into my first pass will be bad. And then my second pass will be like, don't. That sets up their thank you note. Now they can do that. They're going to come with bad, as bad as they can do. They'll really flip it on. And then they'll say night and day. Don't do that, but (laughs) show up ready to play. And then, so let's say the artistic yes, or the artistic, you know, warm green light or however it works specifically from you is there. How does that then work with the admission with the school in terms of what percentage now is going to have to be about the academics, which the grades, the SATs, essays, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I have a, I'm happy to say, I have a a wonderful relationship with, as I call them, my colleagues down the hall who (laughs) who work, who work ably in, in an undergrad admission. And I have a a wonderful working relationship. They understand, understand the school that they work in. Um, They understand it's a creative place. And what we do is collaborate on a decision and send one unified decision. So we work out our differences behind closed doors, I suppose, mm-hmm. and uh, rarely does it come to blows. And then we then we will release decisions after that. If I had to characterize that in terms of, uh, you know, I don't know, power and control, I'd say probably 51, 49 undergrad admission because uh-huh. at the end of the day, they're the ones that have a button that admits somebody, and I don't have a button that admits mm-hmm. anybody. But we we really work collaboratively, get along well, and understand that people need to have a certain level of academic strength and a certain level of artistic strength to get into the school. Um, and we just don't have a, a a hard definition of what those things are in advance. Uh-huh. We just try to take people one at a time and weigh their strengths. Is there any – yeah, I was going to ask, is there any kind of um... – under a 3.0, don't even bother. Under, there, Is there any kind of line where you go, this is really going to be a stretch, even if I love you artistically, to get that 51%? Gosh, it's a little out of my area. But I mm-hmm. so I, I really, <laughs> I hesitate to put a number on it because somebody in a mission will be like, what are you talking about? That's not what, <laughs> right? <laughs> I'd say below a 3.0, mm-hmm. it, it gets a little more challenging. 
again, um, I, I believe that students should let go of the things that they can't control. Mm-hmm. And if you're interested in applying to Emerson, apply. Yep. Right. I, 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 like I said, we don't have a hard, fast rule about this stuff. So why not? You don't know what's going to happen. Why not? And I know there's a little more looseness in a lot of these institutions with COVID. If there's some specific reason why a grade went down or, you know, totally. sometimes it may be the numbers a little lower, but here's the reason why you can show totally. a course of. Yeah. I'm also a big fan. And, you know, again, I don't work in undergrad admission, but I'm a big fan of students saying if they had some life event that affected their uh, school performance, like mm-hmm. tell us what it is. We're just mm-hmm. people too. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to get specific about the musical theater program, I know you mentioned in terms of your credit hours, you think it's a little more acting, singing, and then dance. In yeah. terms of admission, how do those how are those weighed? Are, are they weighed holistically? Do you do you get two different scores for acting and musical theater? How does it work in terms of what actually um, admits you? Great, yes. Um, so for musical theater, you get three scores: acting, dance, vocal. Uh, vocal includes a musicianship component mm-hmm. that we conduct in the audition. Those things get weighed. Um, we give all performing arts applicants an end of the day grade. So mm-hmm. you get one for your audition, and then we we factor in another one for things mm-hmm. like musical theater, where there's three scores, mm-hmm. and then we we bring that to undergrad admission. Hmm. Really cool. I didn't just and, answer that very well, did I? No, it makes, it makes a lot of sense. And I know there's, you know, can't tell us all of how the sausage gets <laughs> shoved in the, the tube. We know. Um, but what, um, just maybe be more specific on musicianship. Is it a music theory test? Is that my playing piano? What does that mean? Um, yeah, there's, yeah, a, there's a brief uh, sight singing component. Um, I actually haven't done it myself, right? So the brief sight singing <laughs> component, and I think there's a singing back component. That's what I can remember. Luckily, we're going to do it to you right now. We're about to give you the oh test right now. You're so on. <laughs> Let me warm up. We do, we do make all of our artists, like we, have, we interview both colleges and artists and we make them all play games. I can't make the get faculty play games. They'll get too mad at me, I feel like. It just feels too unfair. Hey, Could you imagine if we're like, okay, we're going to do a solfege exercise. Here's, here's tonic. Oh my no. God. Well, I'll tell you, if you, I'd have to get some of our empty faculty in there and then they could, they could rock that, I'm sure. But, you know, you want to play a game with me? I'm, I'm down. I'm for it. <laughs> We're ready. All right. Maybe some trivia. We'll come over. <laughs> um, what if we just end this section with, I know you talked a little bit about um, preparation as, as advice, but is there any other advice, maybe especially for students who are listening to this about to audition to your, for your program in a couple weeks? Um, mm-hmm. Any advice that you would say before you walk in Emerson, just think about this. It's trite to say, um, be yourself. Trite, but true. It's true. It's true. And I know that that's such a hard thing. Like, how do I be myself? Um, it, it's a it's a difficult thing to ask, but we do want to see who you are. And we mm-hmm. want to see who you are, to quote my colleague, uh, Maureen Che, the chair of performing arts. Um, we want to see who you are through the vessel of what you've chosen. Beautifully said. Um, um, I just want to talk a little bit about some of the specific challenges of 2021 and the past two years, really, um, in terms of Specifically, some of the demands for racial equity I would love to hit. And then also just some of the adjustments that the college has gone through in the virtual world in terms of classes, in terms of auditions. So that's a big answer and kind of take it where you want to take it. But maybe we can hit both of those things in terms of the past couple of years. Sure. Um, 
I think um, I feel our country is at a unique moment of discussing the relationship between race, gender, sexuality, power. And um, I, I'm careful with this answer because I, I really don't want to make it sound like, well, we've got it all figured out and, and mm-hmm. we've like solved everything. Like that's just, that's an ignorant answer. So I believe like everybody else, we are wrestling with those conversations too and taking active steps to um, rethink how we do things, to decolonize our four years of curriculum. And that's been a process that has been going on for several years now. Um, And consider who gets to go to college? What are the barriers to going to college? What kind of faculty get hired? How does that Mm -hmm. process work? And all of that is complicated. And we're engaged in the messy complication that that is. We are committed to changing the world for the better. We are committed to educating our students and understanding that the art form that we um, practice and love exists in a context, a historical context that has favored um, straight, white, cisgendered voices. And that Mm -hmm. has to change. Mm Mm-hmm. That's beautifully said. And then what about the the virtual changes? So I imagine for at least some period of time, there was teaching that was exclusively virtual. And then is there some kind of hybrid that's now happening? And we can even get into the auditions um, and the current virtual. That's happening. Yeah, sure. So um, last year, um, we, we did all hybrid uh, classes for the year. So they met in person one day a week and um, on Zoom the other day a week for two day a week classes. Mm -hmm. We did that for the year. Um, The administration, I have to say, did a a really good job um, of handling this. And, you know, I'm not afraid to be critical, but I also have to give them credit. They they handled this. I can't imagine them handling it better. Uh, We had very few cases. Everyone was required to be vaccinated and tested. Students were tested in the fall once a week and in the spring twice a week. Um, And we managed to keep cases down. They spiked a little last year around the holidays, which I think was understandable. They spiked everywhere. I don't think that was an Emerson thing. That was just where the the disease was going. Mm -hmm. This year, um, our classes have been 100% in person. Um, Everyone masked vaccinated, boosted, mm-hmm. and tested. I believe we're at once a week. I believe at the beginning of the semester, we and last semester it was twice a week. So they've done yeah. a good job, I believe, um, of keeping people safe. I think these challenges are ongoing, and we all need to remain committed to um, squashing this virus as best mm-hmm. we can. And what about, I know right now you're in the process of doing virtual editions. Is that something that's going to continue into next year? Are we expecting live auditions coming back, virtual auditions going away or staying? How's that looking for you guys? Boy, is that the question? I mean, really, that that is the question. I don't know. And um, the, here are the things that I know. Virtual auditions work. They're more accessible. More mm-hmm. people can audition. I love the fact that we are no longer asking people to fly someplace that they have to. Um, it, from an equity standpoint, that's way better. Um, we love meeting people in person. We, we pride ourselves on the, how we run in-person auditions. 
And it was no fun to translate all of our editions from in-person to virtual this year. Mm -hmm. I don't know what the answer is. I mean, when we put a schedule together over the summer, um, we all felt one way, right? We were all Mm -hmm. feeling optimistic Mm -hmm. last summer. And then I think by the time, you know, October, November, December rolled around, Mm -hmm. we started to not feel so good. So um, I, I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do is the, is the honest answer. Totally fair. And you cannot, as, as of February 11th, 2022, you cannot <laughs> nail Eric down for any answer. That's not going to be true. Yes. They could be listening to this two years from now. So now you're yeah. safe. Oh, whatever you oh, said. I know. I know they will. Yes. <laughs> um, any final thoughts and stuff that we didn't get to hit anything that you're like, Oh, I really wanted to say this about Emerson or about the audition process or anything that you, you go, Oh, this was, this is still hanging on my heart. I would say, um, Speaking to juniors, this is a lengthy process. It's mm-hmm. a lot of work. The sooner you can get started on it, the better. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I, it, it pains me when people apply at the deadline mm-hmm. and then say, well, I know you have um, only one day of auditions left, but I'm not free that day. Uh-huh. Yeah, but could have done this a month ago. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You have to get on this stuff early. I know it's painful to hear that. And it's painful to think that you might have to turn down roles. But if you are serious about this process, I think you got to yeah, gotta think about that. Ooh, our other director at MTCA is going to love that advice. That's what he often says is going, ooh, keep careful, careful of that senior year. Well, it, that's the thing. Right? I remember being a senior in high school and feeling like, oh, I'm going to get all the leads now. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, if you if you want to do this stuff in college, you may have to surrender some of that. And does that mean I can put you on the record saying that that high school resume is not going to impact your decision? Because students don't believe us when we tell them that we're like, it doesn't yep. matter if you played Medea. It's great, but it doesn't. It's not going to get you into school. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So uh, uh, you're right. It, it doesn't matter. We have no way of putting a high school student's resume in context. I don't mm-hmm. know what it means. Mm-hmm. You don't know if you went to a high school that had 40,000 students and a million dollar budget for shows, or you mm-hmm. went to a one room school room that did one show every other year. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, we're interested in meeting you and figuring out who you are in the room. Your resume is not a, a, a big part of it. Well, I'd say mm-hmm. it's almost no part of it. So why in the heck do you require a resume? Mm-hmm. tell you why. <laughs> we require a resume because if we didn't require a resume, People would bring them anyways. Mm-hmm. And then we would have a massive stack of paper. It's true. <laughs> it's true. So what yep. we're basically doing is providing an opportunity for people to upload it. Some of our evaluators might look at it if they want right. to make a conversation, uh, make uh, help this person be comfortable in the audition, ask them questions, stuff like that. But it's not really an evaluative tool. Mm-hmm. I love it. Okay, Eric, you've successfully confirmed all of the things that we want you to confirm uh, <laughs> uh, today on the pod. Uh, it was such a pleasure getting to chat with you, truly. Um, where, If people wanted to learn a little more about Emerson, where would you want to direct them in terms of websites, social media, et cetera? Yeah. If you go to our website, you can search majors and look at the majors that we offer. Mm-hmm. Um, you can look at Emerson Stage, which is uh, uh, the producing area of the Department of Performing Arts. It's run like a professional regional theater. Um, you can look at that, look at the season, look at photos, that kind of stuff. Um, we have an email 
for uh, asking questions um, about this process. It's PA for Performing Arts, PA underscore artistic review at emerson.edu. PA hmm. underscore artistic review at emerson.edu. And then I would say we do performing arts focused admission events led by our current students um, three to four, two to four days a week. Some of them are virtual and some of them are on campus. They're 45 minute Q&A discussions of the Department of Performing Arts to get to meet our students and you can ask them anything you want. I think you'll find our students frank and upfront and knowledgeable. (laughs) I love it. Well, Eric, thank you so much for the time. We so appreciate it. Pleasure was mine. Hey now, I hope you enjoyed that episode with Eric. I found him to be so delightful and charming. It was really easygoing and fun, but I think had a really deep and honest, realistic understanding of the process and kind of where Emerson fits into all of that. There are so many things we could deep dive into here. So I'm just going to give a head nod toward the idea of picking difficult material. We might get a little bit more into this later, specifically that kind of difficult material. Maybe that's a big challenge for you. Um, And of course, the idea of a BFA liberal arts versus conservatory, we've gotten into on previous episodes, but go back and listen to those episodes if you want to hear a little bit more about that, the sort of 60-40 balance um, that Eric mentioned. Um, But I do just want to expand on Eric's advice at the end there, where he warns everyone or maybe suggests to everyone to start early. Um, And I love how he kind of connected it naturally to how busy your high school senior year schedule can be, which is something we talk about a lot at MTCA, right? We often urge seniors to be very conscious of their senior schedules, especially in that fall winter of their junior year where the majority of these auditions will be taking place. But this can becomes even more important for students who start later in the process. So if you are a junior or even a sophomore listening to this and think you might want to go through the process of applying to schools for musical theater or acting, I would strongly suggest you start now. So let's just go through some of the benefits of this. Starting early, it allows you to make a strong game plan for your year. When we first meet with students, we really help them map out the process, where they are now and where they want to be come pre-screen season, audition season, final decision season, etc. It also actually allows you to do more commitments in your spring, summer, fall, since you're able to make a plan to accomplish those goals. If we meet you as a junior or an underclass person, we're going to really encourage you to participate in a lot of high school activities, whether it's choir or whether it's um, school plays, as you slowly weave your college prep process into your timeline. This allows you to avoid having the panic of preparing pre-screens and doing applications and researching schools all in one big chunk. It allows you to actually spread that out and do it more comfortably. It also, and maybe this is my favorite thing, allows you to make artistic growth as you learn about the process and have that artistic growth fuel your strategic and organizational success. So Eric mentioned how students often learn about what they want through engaging in the process. I could not agree more with this. When we start with a student, we often ask them to outline what their goals are for a school, or sometimes we'll go as far as to have them try to articulate a mission statement for this process of what they're looking for in a college experience. Well, at 16 and 17, you might not have all this fully thought out. You may not have it all figured out quite yet, right? Do you know all the answers about where you want to fit in the BFA conservatory, BFA liberal art, audition-based BA, non-audition BA spectrum? Do you know everything about what you want from a discipline perspective, about acting, musical theater, which focuses of musical theater, vocal performance, other artistic pursuits? Of course, some students know exactly what they want and it doesn't change, but for many students, the process itself teaches them more about what makes sense for them in a collegiate experience. And if you can go through part of that process before you hit the summer of your senior year, 
it allows you to make much easier adjustments to your school lists and your auditions as opposed to trying to make those frantic adjustments right up against the deadlines like Eric mentioned, which can make the process much more difficult and might mean you missing out on some schools that you didn't even know were going to eventually become favorites for you. And I think perhaps the biggest reason for most people to start early is just stress. Uh, as with we see with so many of our families who just went through unifieds, the ones who started, let's say, at least a year ago, which would be like the February of their junior year, seem to be having an absolute blast. They come into our green rooms and they tell us, oh my God, this is so much fun. We did this, we did this. Oh, we were ready for this, right? Sometimes they'll tell us, oh, your mock audition, that was still the hardest audition I had to do. We always go, yes. That means you are prepared in every way possible, right? They're ready to play in their auditions. They're ready for curveballs that may come at them. And sometimes they go, oop, that was a curveball. I knew it was coming and it did come, right? And they actually enjoy the audition season because they are prepared for it. And we see every year that families who didn't prepare for what's coming, Maybe they weren't able to use a service like MTCA, or maybe they didn't fully research the process and kind of know what they're up for. They end up juggling so many balls come audition season. You know, we see them at the Palmer House in Chicago. We see them in New York City, and they look so stressed out. And it does end up affecting their artistic work. Of course it does, right? There is no way to do this process without it being hard, but it can definitely be much, much less stressful if you start early and really prepare yourself for what is to come. So I could go on with the many benefits of starting early, but I know many of you listening are already part of the choir that I am preaching to. Um, and if you do happen to be a younger student listening to this, I would just advise you to begin your preparation now. If that's with a consultation with MTCA, that's fantastic. If it's something you want to begin on your own, we totally respect that too. But don't wait. Really dive in and, and let yourself prepare for what's coming. And MTCA family and friends, if you have younger friends you're thinking of recommending to us, because we always rely a lot on referrals, please do them a favor by passing along that info sooner rather than later and help encourage them to meet us early. It doesn't mean there needs to be necessarily heavy artistic work happening immediately, but to at least begin the organizational process will be a big boon to those families. Well, if you enjoyed this episode and perhaps found it a big boon to your process and you want to hear more, hit that subscribe button. We'd also appreciate you if you were to rate and review us where you found us. I suggest five stars if you rocked your first audition and an ironic five stars if you purposely tanked it to improve your thank you note credibility. You can also reach out to us with questions for the pod at mailbag at mappingthecollegeedition.com or reach out to me and Megan directly and maybe give us a little sweet follow on the social medias. I'm at Charmer7 and Megan is at MeganMarie2014. If you're interested in working with MTCA for help with your individual preparation for your college edition journey, which you're beginning early, please check us out at mtcollegeeditions.com. You can also follow us at Musical Theater College Editions and at TweetMTCA on Twitter. To my young artists out there mapping their journeys, don't try to replace college with Duolingo. I was just kidding. We'll see you next week. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now 
and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network.